You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. Hello, and thank you for taking the time to watch this short summary of one of the most interesting characters of the Bible. Ruth is truly one of those stories you can tell the whole thing just by looking at what the names mean. By the time we finish the first few verses, that should be abundantly clear. If you've never done this study before, I think you're in for a treat, because it is handpicked by our God to represent us in the kingdom. Now, we can tie Ruth to the hope of natural Israel by having Naomi in the scene. We'll see by the end of our studies that she, too, was redeemed with the bride Ruth by the long-awaited pillar Boaz. In Ruth, chapter 1, verse 1, opens by telling us that this took place in the days where the judges ruled. So it's good for us to understand what were those days like. The last verse in the book of Judges really becomes its epitaph. There was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Well, we read that and we go, okay, what is that supposed to mean? Have you ever done anything that you thought was wrong in your own eyes? We all do this. We do what we think is right. That's why we do it. If we thought it was wrong, we wouldn't. The problem then comes when we do not look for our God's direction and make decisions based on what we like, what we think, and what we feel. That's where this comes in. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20 and 21, tells us that the things are right or wrong because God says they are right or wrong. It's not up to you and I to decide what sin is. It's not up to us to define it. It's up to us to acknowledge it. So if we come to the Word of God looking for God to tell us what is right and what is wrong, it gives us an opportunity to build on His principles our life. This, effectively, is the backdrop to the story of Ruth. Now, the t it takes place in Bethlehem, Judah, which means the house of bread and praise. Bethlehem's the birthplace of Benjamin, of David, and of Jesus. Now, Ephrath is a place of fruitfulness. Put together, we have the fruitful house of bread and praise. Now, there's a famine in the land. I don't know about you, but a nice place to live for me in a place where, there's, where we're having trouble with a food supply would be a land called the Fruitful House of Bread and Praise. Unfortunately, we'll see this family makes the decision to leave this Fruitful House of Bread and Praise and move to a land called Moab, which means born after the flesh. Now, verse 2 introduces the name of the family. Elimelech is the man of the household. He's, his name means, my God is king. He's married to Naomi, whose name means sweetness or pleasantness. They have two sons. One of them, Malon, his name means sickly or weak. And Chilion, whose name means wasted or consumed. Now, I'd like to ask you a question. When you decided to name your children, how many of you sat back and went, you know, weakling would be a really good name for this one. Can you imagine calling them in for supper as they're out playing in the field? Weakling, wasted, come on in for dinner. Well, that tells us a little bit about what they thought of their circumstance. It gives us an insight to the spiritual stability of this family, especially through the eyes of the mother, Naomi, who's going to play a prominent role in the story for us. 
And we get to verse 4 and we get to add a couple characters. Orpah, whose name means back of neck or stiff-necked, and she's going to represent for us figuratively natural Israel. Then we have Ruth, whose name means tender or comely. And we're going to find that she is going to represent in a figure for us spiritual Israel. Now all three of the husbands die in this chapter, Elimelech, Malon, and Chilion. And we end with Naomi and her daughters. And Naomi decides, well, let's go back home. It's her home, not theirs. And she tells Orpah and Ruth, you might want to go back to your father's house and get a new husband and carry on your life. I'm going back to my homeland in Israel. Now both Orpah and Ruth start by protesting, saying, no, we're going to stay with you, which gives us an indication on how close Naomi got to her daughters-in-law. And during this process, Ruth gives the most beautiful confession of faith recorded in Scripture at verse 16 and 17. Basically, she says, Whither thou goest, I will go. Whither thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part me and thee. Now, she basically gives a till death do us part speech to her mother-in-law. And so the journey begins. Orpah decides, you know what? I've changed my mind. I'm not going to go. She goes back to her homeland. And Ruth and Naomi take what's about a 50-mile journey around the Dead Sea to get back into Israel from Moab. In chapter 2, we introduce a new character. Boaz is his name. And it means, in him is strength. Now, in the rest of this story, we will witness a relationship develop between Boaz and Ruth. They will start off as acquaintance, then she's identified as a family member, then he becomes her redeemer, and finally her husband. And we look at that as a model to teach us using Boaz as a representative of Jesus and Ruth, the Gentile, Naomi, the Jew, being brought together first as an acquaintance, then being brought into part of the family, that he might redeem them and be their husband, which is the model that we want to see as we look forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb with our Lord Jesus. Now the rest of chapter 2 tells us how hard Ruth worked. She worked in the field of Boaz, taking care of Naomi in the evening. She worked from sunup to sundown for almost two months. And then Naomi goes prior to the law of Moses and leans on a principle taught in Genesis chapter 38. It gives us the story of a man named Judah and a woman named Tamar. Now, Tamar is going to be referred to a lot in this very short book of Ruth, and we're going to want to remember her name. Now, the law has Genesis 25, which is what's being used by Naomi in this story of Ruth, but it is built on Genesis 38, and that is a woman seeking a redeemer to replace her dead husband. Now, this story connects a scarlet thread of hope throughout the entire story, and we'll see throughout the Bible. In Ruth chapter 1, verse 12, the word hope in the Hebrew literally means a rope. And its pr prior usage to the story of Ruth is in Joshua chapter 2, verse 18 and verse 21, where it talks about the line of scarlet rope they were to send or lay down out the window of Rahab's house so that the spies would know which home to save when they went into Jericho. Well, Rahab plays an interesting role in this story too. She actually is the mother of Boaz. 
Now, we'll see some references that might be worth checking out in Psalm 22, where we'll see this same word, this hope and the scarlet thread come through, describing for us what Jesus was thinking while he died. Now, when we look at the Psalms, we see the Psalms of David. It reminds us of one of David's wives, Bathsheba, and their son, Solomon, who wrote Proverbs and the Song of Solomon, for example, as well as Ecclesiastes. In Ruth chapter 3, we get a specific concern as Naomi counsels Ruth to go into the tent of Boaz, uncover his feet, and reveal herself as a family member needing to be redeemed by a kinsman. And so Boaz, after recognizing who she is, because I imagine that would have been an interesting, whoa, who's there? Well, recognizes who she is and tells her he will do the kinsman's part but there is one other before him. So he sent her away as soon as it was daylight and wanted to keep her uh, reputation intact by not telling everyone she came into the tent that night. Even though they both behaved responsibly, to anyone else it would have looked like a scandal. Hey, did you hear the Moabites stayed the night in Boaz's tent? And he did not want her to look like an apparent fornicator tarnishing her reputation in the land. Ruth 4 then tells us how Boaz goes to the gate and proclaims his intention to marry Ruth. And after some negotiation with an unnamed redeemer, Ruth is bought and her land and Naomi's by Boaz to redeem that land and raise up children for Ruth's husband and family. What's interesting is when we get to Ruth chapter 4 verse 13, Ruth is no longer called the Moabite. Throughout the whole story, we have Ruth the Moabite. Sometimes Ruth isn't mentioned and she's called the Moabitess. But in Ruth 4, verse 13, no longer is she the Moabite. And there's a very important lesson that's there for all of us. It is not where we've been. It's not where we are that truly matters. It's what we become. Ruth used to be the woman born after the flesh, but she'd been drawn out into the house of Israel and was going to be, be redeemed by a pillar. This brings us to a glorious ending, and we're going to talk about that scarlet thread of hope, which you can follow that word through Genesis 38, through Joshua 2, connecting Tamar, Rahab. We've seen it in the story of Ruth. We can find it in the language of Solomon, the son of Bathsheba. And so when we get to Matthew chapter 1, everyone gets excited. They go, oh good, let's read a genealogy. Well, there are 14 times in Scripture where we have the genealogy of, or the generations of, in the King James. But only two of those say the book of the generations of something. Genesis chapter 5 verse 1 is the book of the generations of Adam. Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 is the book of the generations of Jesus Christ. When we compare these two, we get to see some very interesting things. So let's think of Genesis first. Adam created from the dust after sin was told from dust thou art to dust thou shalt return. And in fact, part of the cursings in Genesis 3 includes the thorns that he would have to endure in his walk to provide for his family. A nice tie to the crucifixion and the crown of thorns on the head of Jesus. There's a lot of symbols here. I don't want to get too far off topic. Genesis 5 and verse 2, the genealogy tells us, in the, name, in the day that he created them, he called their name Adam. And this is a big point that we want to make sure we understand. Have you ever wondered why when you read a genealogy in the Bible, most of the times it's only the men's name that are mentioned. Rarely do we know the women in the story. 
And here is the reason. By calling their name Adam, he's telling us his name represents their story. In fact, the two were to become one before the eyes of God. So anytime we see a genealogy with the name of a female, her name's actually represented twice. Once in the name of their husband, and then we're given a calling out specifically about the woman. Now, in, Gen in Matthew chapter 1, we have 42 babies born. Does anyone want to argue the, co the concept that perhaps if 42 babies were born, 42 women were involved? So why then do we only have five of them by name? Here's why. This is the book of the generations of Jesus. And included in this genealogy, we have at verse 3, woman number 1, Tamar, who played the harlot in Genesis 38, but she became a mother in Israel and was declared righteous in the process. At verse 5, we add Rahab, who was a harlot in Jericho by occupation, but she became a mother in Israel and raised a pillar, Boaz by name. Boaz learned to see the changing heart of a forsaken Gentile by watching the change in his mother's life. Perhaps that's how he could see it in Ruth. In verse 5, we also have Ruth, who left that which was born after the flesh to be united in the house of Israel, the house of bread and praise, and gave us this beautiful confession of faith that we looked at a few minutes ago. She was united to this pillar in the temple and became a mother in Israel. And then we get to verse 6 and we read about she who had been the wife of Urias, which is Bathsheba, who was taken in adultery by David the king. And oftentimes when we say Bathsheba, the first thing we think of is Bathsheba, taken in adultery, just like Rahab, the harlot of Jericho. But that's what she was. That's not what she became. She became a mother in Israel and raised Solomon, who's known as the wisest man that ever lived, saving the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we get to woman number five, Mary. And though we accept the virgin birth, imagine a person, a, a young lady that's maybe 14 to 16 years old. She comes home and she says, Mom, Dad, I'm pregnant, but don't worry, I didn't do anything. Well, we would all go, well, that doesn't sound very, very, like that's the right story. And we would question it because to us, she would look like she had done something she shouldn't have done. But God had a plan. And though she looked like an apparent fornicator to those around her, God handpicked her as a teenager to help raise his son for perfection. By looking at these five women, we see the concept of grace at the hand of God working through a line that would lead to his son. And the clear message of this scarlet thread of hope he has thread together for us is it is not who you are, it is not what you have done, it's not who your parents are, it's not your background, it's not your history, none of that matters. What matters? is where are you going? Each of these five women had an obscure background, but they were all united in change and leading to glory. You and I have that same opportunity. Every single one of us would love to take out a giant eraser and say, boy, I wish I could just pull that out of my past, but none of us can. We can learn from it, and we can try to get closer to our God and farther away from our sin, and if we do that, we are much like these women that were given the opportunity for grace threaded together with this scarlet thread of hope leading to redemption by the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's close with a final thought. I'm absolutely convinced every time we see a, a marriage celebrated in Scripture, we see evidence that ties us, little hints that ties us to the story of Ruth to keep that small story alive. 
And so when we come and think on a traditional Sunday and we read about the Lord breaking bread with his family in the upper room, in 1 Corinthians 11 it's recorded, and we would read that he took bread, he blessed it, break it, gave it to his disciples, and then with the cup he blessed it and gave it to them and said, drink ye all of it. And we might end with, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. But if you keep reading in the 1 Corinthians account, there's a couple more pieces of advice. And sometimes we'll read, let a man examine himself, which is great advice. To look at me, what can I change? How can I get closer to my God? And then there's a word of warning that if we drink the bread and the wine unworthily, we're bringing upon us condemnation, not discerning the Lord's body. But if you go one more verse to verse 30 of 1 Corinthians 11, it said, because many are sickly and weak amongst you. There's a hint back to the story of Ruth, the sickly and weak that, were, that died in the first chapter of Ruth, but they were replaced by a strong person driving them closer to their God, the Redeemer in Israel. The majesty of the word of God never ceases to amaze me. In the redemption of Ruth, we see the work of our Lord. So let us all be resolute in our conviction to acknowledge the sins of our past and move away from that fleshly thinking to go towards the thinking of our God so that that day we might be found worthy to break bread with him and drink wine together in the kingdom of God. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.